You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Kol Nidre is difficult to explain how it went from the simple process of what it looks like where we're discussing Nidarim, promises that we made, how did that become the defining moment of Yom Kippur? And perhaps one could argue an even more, in some ways, um, inspirational moment than any other part of Yom Kippur. I know that uh, the Ni'ilah is supposed to be the part where we're most inspired, but in fact, uh, it's very often the case that we are moved even more by the prayers of Kol Nidre. And I'm going to put this into very simple terms. Um, uh, uh, the, the question is a straightforward question, and all of us have probably asked ourselves this question, but hopefully today we can have a little bit of an answer to the question. The question is, why is it that here is there somewhere in the, in the, in the shul, there is a chazan, there is a shliach tzibor, there is a prayer leader, who is telling us that all of our vows, all of our promises, are nullified, that they are permitted, they're undone. And we're all sitting there and crying, like, kol nidre ve'esare, what are we crying about? Also, also, kol nidre is followed by, by a series of prayers. Right after kol, kol nidre, the Chazan recites kol nidre three times, um, and, and in fact everyone should recite it quietly, let the Chazan do his thing, and then we follow it with v'nislach l'chol adat v'nei Yisrael, a prayer for forgiveness. And, yeah, and then we say, Vayomer Hashem, Salachti, Kedvarach, etc. And then when we finish, then we start the prayers. Why are we asking for forgiveness in connection to Kol Nidre, which is a simple nullification of our vows? That's the question. What's clear here is that for all of us need to understand there is a lot more going on during Kol Nidre than just the nullification of vows. And that's hopefully what we'll get to talk about today. So we're going to start this with a statement from our sages in the Talmud. This statement of our sages in the Talmud has caused us a number of issues. Yes? You know, my, my question is, not only that he's forgiving us for the past, but he's forgiving us for the future. I never understood this. Uh, so, ho- hopefully by the end... Yeah. So, whatever we do next year, what we did, what we will do... Yeah, excellent. So, we're, we're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're actually going to start with the issue you're bringing up. The, this begins, this discussion, begins with a statement in the Talmud. This is in the Talmud, in Masechet Nedarim, of course. And, and there, in Nedarim... On page 23, it says as follows. Harotzeh, somebody who wants. Shelo yitkaimu nedarav kol hashana. Someone who wants 
to nullify all his promises. I, I shouldn't use the word promises. I'm going to use the word neder, because neder is different than a promise. I, I, I want to... I, I'll explain soon. Let's just keep reading. Harotzeh, someone who wants, shelo yitkaimu nedarav. Someone who wants that his nedarim, he, these vows, should not, he should not be accountable to them. Yamod berosh Hashanah. He should stand up. This is not Rosh Hashanah, the day, but the Rosh Hashanah meaning at the beginning of the year, any time at the beginning of the year. The Yomar, and you should say, Kol neder shani atid lidor. Every neder that I'm going to make this entire year, Yehei Batel. Ubelvad, but only. She yehei zachor b'shat haneder. I'm sorry, but, uh, the Gemara corrects it. I'm going to skip over parts. As long as you don't remember your um, bitul, meaning like this. The Gemara tells us, this is a Gemara in the Darim, that there's a mechanism where you can stand up at the beginning of the year, let's call it Yom Kippur, and you could say all promises that I'm going to make the entire year, they are all, you've all heard this term, Beli neder. Right? Someone says, will you, will, you, uh, will you meet me tomorrow at so-and-so at this time? So you say, Beli neder. Beli, what does Beli neder mean? It means I plan on it, I would like to go, but I don't want it to be a neder. Because if it's a neder, meaning if it's an actual promise, then if I don't show up, I've committed a serious sin of breaking my nether, breaking a promise. And this is where I'm going to take a few minutes and talk about this, because this is, this is really, really very important. We're still in the world of pshat. We'll get to some deeper explanations of kol nidre, but just in the world of pshat, simply, the mechanism of what we're doing, we have to understand that in the world out there... What is nether? I'm going to explain that. I'm going to explain that now. That's, that's, contract, financial contract, everything that I agree. Uh, so I'm going to explain that now. So in, in the world out there, in every society, there is a concept called emet, truth. In every society, truth is a value. I've yet to meet anyone who comes from a place where they consider lies to be a higher ideal than truths. Now, there are some people who live in a world of lies, and they consider their lies to be idealistic, but they think that it's the truth. Right? There's no one who says, this is a lie, and therefore, this is the way I'm going to live. Right? Everyone thinks that it's the truth. But the concept of truth is universally known. However, how much you are bound to your truth will change across where you are from and how you were raised and how you think. Some people, their word is their word. Some people, when they say they're going to do something, they do it, not just because they're good at getting stuff done, but because they feel a sense of responsibility when they've spoken words, that those words create an obligation. 
And people who have a sense of responsibility towards others coming from themselves, what they're obligated to do, that's an important ideal and that's the way they want to live their life based on truth. So that's how some people, there are some people, they make a promise, a promise, even if they tell you, listen, I promise and we'll sign a, a million contracts and whatever, their word doesn't mean enough to them if it also means that they're going to lose something. So if, let's say, in the, in this, a person shakes someone's hand, yeah, we're going to do the business deal. He realizes a week later that there's another business deal he can go into and make more money. But you agreed. You shook hands. So for some people, the truth is the truth. They agreed, and so they stick with it, even though, to some people, listen, the truth is important, but not enough that I have to hurt myself. Yes, please. One minute. Okay, so I think they agreed is one thing. They shook hands is another thing. You know, they they swore is a third. They swore on the Bible is a third thing. I mean, you you mixing them all up because if they agreed, it's just like a verbal agreement. They're shaking hands. Maybe is another layer. You know, in the diamond business, they say mazalu bracha. You know, somebody right. can swear on the Bible. Uh, yeah, so, the, so the point you're making which, is, is, actually, is actually supporting my point. Yeah, which, that's which, what I'm trying to say. Right. Which one is it? But, but when you, you're conflating it just to say, we agreed, but then we shook hands. Or Yeah, so, so the, the answer to... Yeah, like, go ahead. No, no, I understand. Like I said, the, the, it, it's very clear, but what we're saying is that that's exactly what it is, that there are different people who consider different levels of, of investment to be, to be different levels of obligation. So for some people, until they sign, it, they don't hold themselves um, b- um, to be bound by whatever the agreement was. But once they sign, they will never break their word, right? You've got some people, once they sign their name. But until they sign their name, it means nothing. For some people, uh, until they shake their hands. For some people, until the, they spoke, they, they, they... So what, what we're saying is in the world out there, there are different levels and layers. In the Torah, we also have different levels and layers. There is a statement in the Torah that says, Midvar Sheker Tirchak. You should distance yourself from lies. What's the language? Tirchak. What does Tirchak mean? It means avoid lying. Don't lie. It's not a good thing to lie. But... We know, uh, a second, that, that we know that there are places where you are allowed to lie. For example, for the sake of shalom, if someone says, you know, how does this dress make me look? So you're allowed to give a more uh, appropriate response, right? If someone says, how's my new car? And you think it's, uh, it's it, it, you, you think it looks like a, a, a child's go-kart, you're not going to say that to the person. You say, oh, it's a nice car. So that's, you're allowed to be Mishanem if Neha Shalom. Yes, please. No, no, right. I was going to just say that there's a white lie and there's all kinds of lies, you know. Right. Um, there's, okay, how about, how about if you're in deception of an enemy? Right, no, those are all good examples. I don't want to get caught up in the world of lies because we're discussing more about truth. What we're saying is that there is, there's levels, but, once you use the word neder, once you use the word neder, now you're bringing God into the picture. Now you're saying, I am binding myself by the same obligations that the Torah binds me to remain loyal to God. I am enforcing this 
by connecting this with my relationship to God, meaning by my love of God, I will fulfill this. That is basically what you're doing when you're doing a nether or a shavuah. I know that's, that's not quite exact, but it's basically like that. When you make a nether, you're saying, you're saying beside, I'm not just making a promise. I am obligating and binding myself by my entire existence according to the Torah and by the, by the by, you know, have you ever heard people say, God as my witness, that such and such will happen? You've heard that expression? What are you doing when you say that? What you're doing is, you're connecting your words to your connection with God. And you're saying that just like uh, I am binding myself by my word and making it into a mitzvah. And when you do that, your nether becomes so binding that the transgression of a promise that was made using the concept of nether is considered a terrible, terrible sin enough Chas v'shalom, that our, the Talmud tells us that very bad things happen. I don't even want to say them. You can look them up. Very bad things happen to people who don't keep their neder, who don't keep their... Uh, again, I don't want to use the word promise, because when you promise in the English language, the word promise doesn't translate into neder. But it, you have to use the word neder, and I, we would spend the rest of the class just discussing which languages would be binding and which languages would not be binding if you were to do it in English. What if you say, I promise like this, I promise like that. So I want to avoid all that. The point is, though, that you can upgrade every agreement or promise or statement by connecting it into the Torah using the concept of neder, and then you are bound by Torah law, meaning that if a person says, makes a neder, that he's not going to eat bread on this day, the pro, uh, if he uses, if a person just says, I'm not going to eat bread today, so if he eats bread, big deal, okay, so he told a lie. But if a person makes a nether that he's not going to eat bread that day, that bread is the same prohibition as eating chazir. It's the same prohibition as, as eating basar b'chalav. It's the same level of prohibition as every other prohibition in the, in, in the Torah. So, says the Talmud, nobody wants to be caught up in the sin of Nadarim. Nobody wants to be... Um, and we make Nadarim all the time. We make promises all the time. And sometimes we use stronger language. Sometimes we don't use stronger language. But if you say something like, by God, God is my witness, I will never talk to this person ever again, you say it like that. You are bound by Torah law. If you, if you speak to this person ever again, but we don't want to be in that kind of situation. So our sages recommend that at the beginning of the year, you make a hachraza. You make an announcement, a disclaimer. Every promise that I make, of course I want to keep my promises. But I don't want them to qualify as a neder. I don't want to make them this higher level of nether because that's very dangerous. So everything, every promise that I make is Bali nether. Says the Talmud, but if you remember this promise and you still made a nether, you're undoing your promise, right? If a person says, you know what, I said at the beginning of the year that all my netherim are, are, are invalidated and now I'm making a nether, that nether is valid because you know about your condition and you still made the nether. This only works if I forget 
that I made a condition that I wasn't going to make any Darim, so then this disclaimer will um, will remove the level of obligation so that I don't have this obli- same level of obligation. Now you can imagine that just reading this statement in the Talmud, you can imagine what someone would think when they hear this. The Talmud tells us, it continues, Rav Huna Barchinana Sabar Bepirka Rav Huna he wanted to go and tell everyone this. He wanted to get up in front of the whole community and tell everyone, Rabotai, Moraiva Rabotai, you can save yourself from all Nedarim by standing on Yom Kippur and saying, all my Nedarim are nullified. Amar le Rava, Rava, another one of the sages of the Talmud, says to Rav Huna Barchinana, we know that the rabbis have passed this along in a sort of secrecy. It's like something that those who know know that you can nullify Nadarim. Why? So people should take their word seriously. But you want to make this public information? So in the days of the Talmud, this mechanism of nullifying your vows wasn't known to all. And one of the rabbis wanted to make it known to all. And the other rabbis told him, no, no, no. This, people who know, they know how to use this to protect yourself. But if you start teaching everyone that, that the Nadarim can be nullified at the beginning of the year, then people won't take their promises seriously. That's what it says in the Talmud. Says Rabbeinu Nisim, Rabbeinu Nisim only lived 700 years ago, but he wrote a commentary on Masechet Nadarim, and he writes, V'nira, Shema she'omrim, Ketzat ki'ilot v'yom ha'kipurim, Kol nidre ve'esare, In many congregations, uh, 13th century rabbi is talking about how in every shul they do Kol nidre, right? well, um, Ketzat ki'ilot, meaning that there were places where they were doing this, that it's, it's a nullification. Get this? You were asking me, um, yeah, uh, what is this about next year? If you read the Talmud, it's all about next year. Right? Uh, everything we've seen in the Talmud so far is all a nullification of future vows, meaning I don't want to be bound in the, in the, in the world of, of Nidarim of vows, so I'm nullifying... I am preempting all my vows by nullifying them beforehand. And you're saying that's what Kol Nidre is. Comes along Rabbeinu Tam. Rabbeinu Tam is, as we know, he's the grandson of Rashi. So he lived in the 12th century. Rabbeinu Tam says, what are you talking about? Um, he says, um, I'm sorry, I should say it the other way. So says Rabbeinu Tam, Rabbeinu Tam, 12th century. First, it's interesting that he's using the word Mahzor for the Yom Kippur prayers. You know, it, it shows you these are not new terms. Even the Minhagim that we have go back um, um, a thousand years. So he says, in the Machzorim, many of them have printed that it's a bitul of the Nadarim of the previous years. 
He says, you have to erase it. Miyom Kippurim She'avar, at Yom Kippurim Zeh. He says, take it out. It's clear from the Talmud that we are only nullifying next year's vows. That's what Rabbeinu Tam says. And he says we have to correct the text. What en- there are others who say, I-, I don't want to quote everything inside, otherwise we'll, we'll be here all day. There are others who say that that is not correct. That is not what we are doing. Why? Because they learn that this entire statement of the Talmud has nothing to do with next year's vows. What it is, is that throughout the year, I make vows to myself. And I want you to think about this. How often have you said to yourself, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. You know what? I'm going to call this person. I haven't called them in, in many months. I'm going to call them up. You've had, everyone's had that moment of inspiration, and then it never happened. You said to yourself, you were going you to exercise more, you were going to eat better. You said to yourself, you were going to be nicer to your friends. You were going to be more patient. You were gonna be... How many promises have you made this year? Comes Yom Kippurim. This is a whole different take. Comes Yom Kippurim, and you're asking God for forgiveness. Why? Because, listen, I failed. I tried to do a good year. I tried, to do, I tried my best. You cannot say you tried your best if you made promises and you did nothing about them. You made a promise. I, I'll use this. Let's stick to this example. You made a promise. You were going to call someone, a friend who you haven't been in contact with in a while. Comes Yom Kippur, you're standing there in davening for forgiveness, and God is looking down at you and saying, what happened to your promise? So before Yom Kippur starts, we annul all of our vows. We annul all of our vows and we say, all our promises that we made should be null and void. And so they learn that Kol Nidre is a nullification of the past. Rabbi Nutam, again, challenges this and says it doesn't make any sense because if you want to not, how do you nullify vows? You need to go to a Beit Din. You need to have three um, members of a court nullify your vows. You can't just get up and say, all my vows of my past are nullified. You can nullify yourself, your vows in the future, not vows in the past. So we have a disagreement. So what do... If you look in your machzor, in your sidur, in some machzorim it will say, only miyom kippurim zeh ad yom kippurim haba, and in many machzorim it will actually say, miyom kippurim sh'avar ad yom kippurim zeh, and miyom kippurim zeh ad yom kippurim haba alenu l'tova, they will have both. It's because of this debate over what's happening at the time of Kol Nidre. According to some, we are nullifying the future vows that we will make. According to some, we are nullifying the vows that are upon us. Now, as you can all imagine, Kol Nidre has been one of the points where the Jews were attacked by our enemies. Why? Because a very simple, simple understanding of this is that Jews have found a way that they don't have to keep their promises. That's how, right? Many people interpret it. Because you think, you sit there in shul, if you don't know any better, you say, call Nidre, all my promises, they're all null and void, even if I say I'm going to promise, I don't mean it, I'm not bound by it. So, 
especially the apostate Jews, they brought this to the, to the Christians, and they said, look, the Jews get together, they don't keep their promises, and this fueled the fire of anti-Semitism about Jews and their trickery and deceit. And it couldn't be any further from the truth. I, you know, I, it's so, so painful, the irony of what's going on here, is here we are, we're trying to be truthful, and we're so concerned that we don't want to break a nether because making a promise and breaking it is so awful to us that we want to get rid of our vows completely because we don't want to lie and somehow that's interpreted to be a lie. Well, what about the argument? Well, about the, isn't it a fair argument, the question they're asking, that Jews don't have to keep their promises? The answer is so simple that it's, it only adds to the pain of what we've gone through. The answer is that if I make a promise to you that I'm going to give you a million dollars, it doesn't matter how many times I say kol nidre, I could say kol nidre a million times, I still owe you the million dollars. Because kol nidre doesn't work to a nullavah that you made to someone else. Kol nidre only works to a nullavah that you made to yourself. What, what do I mean? It means like this. There, the way that a promise works, and this is, this is a complicated subject in the Talmud, I'm oversimplifying it, but this is the conclusion. So take it as it is from the Talmud. The Talmud makes it very clear that when I make a promise to you, if I make a nether to you, I am not just making a nether on my state of mind, but on yours. That means that if I want to nullify this nether, I need to come to you and ask you to nullify my nether to you. Meaning, I, I need you to be mochal me, I need you to forgive me. Otherwise, when I make a nether to someone else, I'm making a nether on their agreement. So you can't nullify a nether that belongs to someone else. In fact, the Arucha Shulchan, uh, let me just... The, the Arucha Shulchan um, was, was the rabbi, he passed away in 1908. So think of that, what the world looked like at that time. Um, he lived from 1829 to 1908. He was the, he was the chief rabbi of Navardok in Lithuania. Now, if you know anything about that area of the world at the beginning of the 1900s, you understand that the Jews were living in a very dangerous place. And here's what he writes. Um... He says, this does not work for any neder or shavuah or promise that you make to someone else. Because when you give someone else an oath or a vow, it's on their agreement, not on your terms. The Kalshkain and certainly He says, especially shavuah that you make to the government. In other words, people were saying, bring the Jew into court and have him testify, and he's going to swear. The Jew is not going to take it seriously, because he said, call Nidre. So says the chief rabbi of Navardic, it doesn't work for that. 
Ella, it's only referring to the Shavuot and the Darim, Hashayachim Rakalola Atzmo. This only works for personal vows and personal promises. And etc. he goes on. And, and um, whatever, he, yeah, I don't want to read the. But basically, what he's saying, is, and he has to write this in his Sefer, where he writes the Halachot of Kal Nidre, because in his days, um, this was a big issue that people were saying this. Uh, about about the uh, about the Jewish community that they weren't taking vows seriously. Okay, that all of that is the introduction and the background, very short, of of how Kol Nidre um, uh, works in the world of Pshat. Simple understanding. I'd like to take Kol Nidre to a level higher, but before I do, are there any uh, questions on what we've seen so far? Okay. All right. Good. However, we all know, all of us understand, that what's happening at Kol Nidre is not just what we described up till now. There's a lot more going on. Your grandmother did not cry tears for the entire Kol Nidre because she made promises and she didn't think she kept them. There is a statement in the Talmud elsewhere This is in tractate in Bava Basra, Daf Ayan Dalad. This is what it says in the Talmud. Rabbi Barbar Khana, one of the rabbis, was walking in the Sinai Peninsula and he found himself at Har Sinai. So one of our sages came to Har Sinai. It would be an interesting thing, you know, there are some people who claim we do know where Har Sinai is, some people don't know, whatever it was, this rabbi knew where it was, he went, well, he was brought there. When he came back, he said, Shamati bat kol sha'omeret, I heard a voice at Har Sinai. Sha'omeret, a bat kol is a feminine term, right, so it's sha'omeret, oili shenishbati, why did I make this shivua? But I made the Shavua. Me may fairly. Who will annul my oath? So this rabbi is walking past Har Sinai and he hears a voice that says, Who will annul my vow? You know what he did? He kept walking. When he came back to the rabbis, he told them this. So the rabbi said, you are called Abba Chamra. His name was Abba. They said, Abba is a donkey. I guess that's a... Why didn't you say? Why didn't you annul the vow that was this voice coming from God? So he says, so he says, I was afraid that it was the wrong Shavuah. I was afraid that we know God made a Shavuah that He will no longer bring a Mabul. He will no longer bring a flood to the entire world. So I was afraid that if I would annul God's vow that maybe a Mabul will come. And the Rabbi said to him, if God was looking for someone to annul His vow on the Shavuah, He wouldn't have said, Oili Shanishbati. Why did I make this promise? 
That's a, that's a good promise to make. Even if God regrets it, it's still a good promise to make. So clearly, this was an oath about a, about a good thing. Meaning, as, our, as the holy books interpret this Talmud, this Gemara, Hashem made a Shavuah that He's not going to redeem the Jewish people and save them from their Galut before the time. Hashem, so to speak, the Creator, is bound by an oath of the Torah, where it says in the Torah that as long as we're not doing the right thing, that God cannot redeem us. Why, why can't God redeem us anyway? Because God follows the Torah, and in the Torah, God says, I'm not going to redeem you until you do all the teshuva. According to these opinions, when we get up and we say kol nidre, it's not referring to our vows and our promises, it is referring to God's vows and God's promises. And the entire Jewish people are coming together and we are saying, Master of the world, you, you rejected us, you threw us out of our land, you sent us into exile for 2,000 years, we suffered under all kinds of horrible things, all because of this nether and shavuah where you promised I'm not going to take the Jewish people back until they deserve it. We are being Mayfair, we are being Matir, you are Neder, we are permitting it, you may redeem us right now by the power of the Beit Din. Very, very different prayer. Yes? As, as human beings, are we allowed to katonti me katon? How can I tell uh, very good. you now, you're not allowed, you made a promise, you don't have to keep your promise, what am I... Right. So, the answer is, a very, very important point. The Talmud tells us that if someone makes a nether, they make a promise. There, there is one condition if a person wants to come to an expert and be matir nether, to be made for his nedarim. If a person comes before, um, come, well, to be made for. If a person comes to, um, comes to um, the expert who knows the rules and he comes to nullify his vow, there's one thing that must be there. And that's called charata, regret. Without charata, without regret, you can't annul a vow. In order to nullify a vow, you have to say, had I known what this was going to be like, had I known how difficult it was, I would never have made this vow. That is why, if you look in your Siddur, and we're going to talk a little bit about the text of Kol Nidre, but if you look in your Siddur, what does it say? If you look in the Kol Nidre, it says, All of these Nedarim and Shavuot, and Nidre, Asare, Shavuot, Charamei, Kanamei, Kinusei, Kinuyei, all these different terms for promises. I regret them. So, when it says in the Talmud that Rabbi Barbar Khanna was walking by Har Sinai and he heard a voice that said, Oili Shinishbati, that's God regretting the oath and he's asking the rabbi to nullify his vow. So, your question is, you know, who do I think I am to nullify? I am nothing. That's why we need all of Klal Yisrael Beyachad to do it. That's why we need all of... Because Klal Yisrael as an entity can do anything. So what we do is we pick a moment where we're all sharing that moment. You know what it is? Five minutes before Shkia on Yom Kippur. 
We know Kol Nizrei should be should be done right before the sun sets, right before. That way we're all in the same moment, all of Kal Yisrael This is something that not only the Chazan says, but everyone murmurs, not too loud, because the Chazan, he knows what he's doing, follow him, but everyone says it um, along with the Chazan, so that the entire Klal Yisrael, Anashim, Nashim, Vetaf, men, women, and children, everyone together is saying to God, forget your promises, forget your rules, let's just make this world a better place right now. Alright, if I come to you to forgive a promise, then you have to understand what you're doing. Obviously. I come to you and I say very clearly to you, I want this to be nether, to be broken, blah, 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 whatever. I've been to Bonnidre more than once, and I've never heard that, I've never, I was never cognizant of this explanation that you've given, and uh, I, I'm sure if you ask these, the, all the people that are the participants that are here, most of them did, did not understand the, that prayer, just the way you explained it. Yeah. So, so you're saying now, that I've let God off the hook without even knowing it. That's right. That's right. You That's were right. you were a part of this big machine that I you didn't realize you were part of. How can I forgive without even forgiving without even knowing that I'm doing? Uh, the it's answer like, is it's like a scam. Ah, uh, the answer is because there's a there's a there's a communal consciousness that doesn't require individual uh, awareness, but the entire body of the Jewish people. And I'll tell you, listen to this. Your grandmother also may not have known this, but she felt it. That's, that's where we're going with this. Kol Nidre is not so much about the words that you're saying and nullifying what you're doing. It, it's more about the, the, like you feel, oh my goodness, Kol Nidre is so serious. The reason why you're feeling it is because you're not even realizing that these are not just your vows, but God's vows that you're nullifying. I, I can't say it any better because I, I, can't, I can't make excuses for why people don't know the real things. I, people don't study prayers. It, it's, they, it, it, I, I don't know why, but you know, this is, that's what we're learning. So if you look in your Machzor, you'll see there's a little section of the Zohar that's right before, that's, that's in your Machzor to recite before Kal Nidre. Nobody says it. I've never met anyone who recites the Zohar before Kal Nidre. There are people who say it. I just, actually, I shouldn't say that. I know people who do recite it. But it's not commonly recited by people. You know what it says in there? It says in there that Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai says in the, in the Zohar, Yom Kippurim Nafkin Mishal Shalehom. Yom Kippur is the one day when we are free of our chains. In the Zohar, it says that you should say Kol Nidre on Yom Kippurim. So the vows of God. And basically, I don't want to go into the whole Zohar, but the Zohar describes how Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai said, listen to God, what level of Shavua did you make? If it's this level of Shavua, we nullify it. If it's that level of Shavuah, we nullify it. If it's that level of Shavuah which we can't nullify, then we are asking this 
mechanism of it should be nullified. And if it's even higher, this whole thing, it's a really complicated section of the Zohar. I, I you know, it, it certainly um, the study of the Zohar is, uh, is way beyond this. But, but the, the idea that's clear from the Zohar is that the Zohar makes the whole thing about nullifying the vows of God. It's that, that's what really what's happening. The there is a crowd here. Does anybody understood it like this? And then, has anybody in this group understood what he's saying it like this? Yes. So it seems like we were all scammed. That's yeah. what I'm telling you. It seems like we were all scammed. By well, it. yeah. I wouldn't focus on the on the fact that you know we're we're learning it now. So now uh, now you now you can appreciate everything that's there in Kol Nidre. But you should know the, the pshat is also true, right? The, the pshat is the pshat. You're still nullifying your own vows. You're still, again, one opinion you're nullifying. The upcoming vows are going to another opinion you're nullifying last year's vows. And as we said, only your personal vows, not those you owe to others. That's still true. Right? So that's what you've learned and that's what's always taught. But everything has a deeper level. Like who, who wants to settle for just a surface level Judaism? There's depth here. And that's what the Zohar is trying to introduce to us. And it's, it's connected to what it says in the Talmud. Okay, uh, I'm going to take this to one more level. There, it's brought, in certain poskim, it says, uh, you know, for example, it says in the Arach HaShulchan, if I, if I can use him again just to remain consistent, and he's already on the table, V'achar kach omed hashleach tibur, v'omer kol nidrei b'nigun. Kol Nidre has a song. I'd like to share with you a story. Is it a true story or not a true story? I don't know and I don't care. Because it's a true story even if the individual story didn't happen exactly the way that it happened. And therefore, I'm going to say this a little differently, the story, than the way I heard it. But I think the way that the story um, would be told to a more um, current generation. Once upon a time, there was an evil pirate. Let's call him Captain Whitebeard. Right? He was an evil pirate who was known to be one of the most uh, terrifying people in, in all of the, in all of the uh, realm of the oceans and seas. He was known that to be brutal, and no one wanted to get into a fight with him, it was all... But because of that, he was very successful, very wealthy, and he was world famous as this famous terrifying pirate, Captain Whitebeard. One day, he's sailing the seven seas, he wakes up one morning in his fancy cabin in his, uh, on, his, on his ship, and he has a song in his head. It goes something like this. So he's listening to it. He's like, that's amazing. That tune, that tune. That's such a great piece. And so he's trying to remember, where does he know that from? And so he's playing it again in his head. Right? Again and again, again. He's playing. 
And he can't. So he's, you know, locked himself in his room all morning, just again and again. Da, 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 again and again. Where is this from? And so all the people on the, on the ship with him are, the, the captain has been busy locked in his room all morning. He must be planning the next attack. He must be... And so they're waiting for him to come out with the plan for the next, uh, the next uh, project. He comes out a few hours later, has everyone gather in the galley of the boat, and he says to them, I need all of you to help me. I'm going to sing you a little piece of an opera or whatever it is, and I need you to tell me the name of the song. And so he gets up and he says, da 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 And then, da-da, right? He does the whole thing. I'm not going to do it a hundred times, but he did it. And they're all looking at him like crazy. Like, this is what you've been locked in all morning because you got a song stuck in your head? So, and he's insisting, he's the captain of the boat, and he says, I, I need someone to tell me, it, you know, is it, is it Chopin, is it a Schubert, is it a, is it a Mozart, is it a Bach, what is this? But, of course, none of them could answer. So they said, listen, we're going to land, we're almost at land, well, you'll go there and uh, you'll ask people. So, uh, you know, a couple hours later, they, they make it to land, and, they, uh, and he goes around from place to place, to all the experts, all of them, he sings them this little, he's like, this song is in my head, driving me crazy. And so he gathers people, he goes into every pub and every bar. People are like, what is going on with the, like, Captain Whitebeard has gone absolutely crazy. It's late in the afternoon, and he's just walking along, Mamash going out of his mind, singing this tune over and over and over in his head. And he sees an old woman crouched over, dressed in white from head to toe. And he says to her, she looks like a holy person. Right? He says, dude, you've got to help me. So she looks at her, she's like, what? He's like, there's this tune stuck in my head. And he sings it for her. And she says to him, she responds to him, in in Apparently in Yiddish, my entire kin, I think that doesn't require much translation, says the Nacht von Yom Kippur. And she takes him by the hand and she walks him to Shul. The way the story is told is that everyone in the Shul turns around and there is this old, old, bent-over woman, dressed in white from head to toe, walking with the most fearsome pirate in all of the world. And she leads him to the Amud. And there, Captain Whitebeard leads the crowd for the first time in what would be many, many years of him beginning Kol Nidre to open the Yom Kippur prayers. That's the story. So, you know, this story, it illustrates the way that each of us has a relationship with that moment that Yom Kippur begins. And there's a nigun that goes with that. And that nigun is such a powerful nigun. Yes, please. We're not familiar with the 
Jewish nigger. We each have a different nigger than our synagogue. I can't help you. <laughs> no, I mean, you say this is a common one. It's not like the text of Kormidre that everybody follows the same text. And, and it could be that the Chazanim have made changes, but... If you don't have that, you don't have Kol Nidre. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, you don't have that that nigun, the nusach of Kol Nidre. And, and things change over time, but certainly that's the nusach that that I've always the only nusach I've ever heard. And certainly for this pirate, that was the nusach. Now, it could, are there? You know, he was a little boy when he heard this, right? This, he forgot, he couldn't even recall it. Because it's so deeply embedded in him. I, I'm going to take this a little further. The Arizal makes a statement. The Arizal says, Mi she'en b'chiyah nufelet alav b'yamim ha'elu hu hu hora'ah she'en nishmato haguna u'shlema. If you don't cry, at some point during the Yamin Noraim, there's something lo hagun about your neshama. Lo hagun? That means there's something wrong with you. Right? If you can't cry once during the Yamin Noraim, says the Sfarim right, and there are those who say this about, about this statement of the Arizal, that it's specifically referring to Yom Kippur. And I want to tell you what it says in the Sfarim. That the reason why we use a nusach, we use a tune, the reason why we use music in the prayers of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur more than we do at other times. And I'm going to quote to you what it says in the Sfarim. B'nigunim shel adam kasher. If you see, if you hear a good person, adam kasher. Now, adam kasher is a very open term, right? It doesn't have a definition exactly because there are many different kinds of Adam Kasher. If you hear a song of Adam Kasher, it's Mo'orer. It inspires you. Inspires you to what? So you should know. Different things inspire you to different things. Different Some music makes you want to dance. Some music makes you want to sing along. Some music wants you to make you sleep. Some music makes you want to put as much cotton into your ears as you can possibly stuff, right? Different music has different reactions. Music of the singing of an Adam Kasher makes you think the following. Efo ani ba'olam ani et yamay Or translation, hearing an Adam Kasher sing makes you think, where am I in this world and what am I doing with my life? That's what an Adam Kasher, when they sing, or, or that's why, a lot of people like to sing along with the Chazam. And that's good, because you're supposed to help the Chazam. But your focus shouldn't be on your singing. It should be on what the feeling that's being created. Don't, don't run away from the feelings that are created by the tunes. The Nusach is powerful. Let it speak to you. And let your mind go to that place of, where am I in this world? And what am I doing with my life? I'm going to come back to Kol Nidre. I want to step away for a second. Because Kol Nidre is not just that paragraph of Kol Nidre. We know that there are things you say before, there are things you say after. But one of the things... How does Kol Nidre begin? We open up the Arona Kodesh, 
In most communities, many communities, they take out all the Sifrei Torah. In some they take out only three, some they take out one, whatever it is. But it's brought down in the Sfarim, in the holy books, that Anshei Ma'aseh, that people of good behavior, would, and, and right before Kal Nidre, when the Sifrei Torah come out, they go to the Torah, and they are mavakesh mechila, they ask forgiveness from the Torah. Now, I found it a little bit ironic that this is only for special people. Anshem ma'aseh, whatever that means, that's also a vague term. They have this minhag. And I've seen it, there are shuls of, um, where they have this minhag, where they take this, the Sefer Torah around the shul, and everyone asks mechila, asks forgiveness from the Sefer Torah. Now, this is only done, interestingly, in places where, where they're very, very... Um, um, so a little more, a little more serious. Those kinds of synagogues they do it, which is ironic because you would think that the places where they're less serious, they should have to ask more forgiveness from the Torah. But maybe you know, sometimes, sometimes when you've hurt someone so much, it's even difficult to ask forgiveness. So sometimes people were so far from the Torah that we're even um, you know ashamed to approach the Torah and ask forgiveness. But this is a minag that many people that many people have, because. The time of Kol Nidre is a time for reflection. Not just because of Kol Nidre itself, but the moment where we are. Which is that the moment as Yom Kippurim is going to begin. Yom Kippurim is Yom Sticha Kapara. It is a day when we are all like angels. It is a day when we are so connected to God that we can say Baruch Shem Kavod Malchuto, we say it out loud, because we don't need to distinguish between us and the angels. It is, on Yom Kippur, we're all, everyone's a good person, on Yom Kippur. But the moment right before Yom Kippur, which is where you go from being just you, to being someone who for one day is going to focus on what, uh, what's really important, says that shift, that requires a process of Kol Nidre. Because I'm going to offer you the third and final explanation of Kol Nidre, and I'll see if I can do this in four minutes. Kol Nidre, it's not just about the promises that I've made with my words, but it's about who I've told myself that I am. Kol you know what a neder also means? It means to bind yourself. Right? The word isure. So Isurei is a promise called Nidre the Asare. You know what else Isur means? What's, an, what's someone who's Asur? Someone who's imprisoned. We are locked in to our own prisons. We bind ourselves with verbal Nadarim and we bind ourselves with mental Nadarim blocks that we have. I will never cross this line. I will never go beyond this. This is not for me. This is we all do this. And then on Yom Kippur we stand before God and we say we say to God, you know, I want forgiveness, I want this. But do we really have the right to ask this question? Who do you think you are to come before God after the things you've done and ask for forgiveness? God knows the things you've done. He knows everything. The answer is because you know what? God is forgiving. Even if I've done all those things, God is forgiving, and so He will forgive me. But I've got to do something. So you know what? I don't know yet what next year is going to look like. But here's what I do know. I am giving myself 
a clean slate. Whatever I said, I'm going to be whatever I've told myself that I'm limited to, I'm letting go of that. Shvikin, shvitin, betelen, mubutalim, lo shiririm, velo kayamin, nidrana lo nidre, asarana lo asare, shuatana lo shivuot. But, 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 but with a song. That's it. I'm done. I'm starting. I'm a new person. Because on Yom Kippur, we don't just dress white. Even if you don't dress white. It's a metaphorical thing. Right? You don't just dress white on the outside. It's more important that we dress white on the inside. And so we start, before we say Kol Nidre, we start, Or Tzadik, which, by the way, is for men to recite, and when they recite, they should have in mind that they want to be metaken and all the all the blemishes in, in, in that are that apply to men as opposed to women. But but the the every part of this prayer, every part, is all to get us to a different mindset, which is you can't if you do it at meilah, it's too late. The, you're going to waste the day if you don't realize how special Yom Kippur is. It is a day when you can walk away from all... We say, Hasatan. Hasatan, Hei, Shin, Tet, Nun, equals 364. Because he only has power 364 days. The last day, Yom Kippur, he has no power. It is a day when we are free of the Satan. It is the day when everyone feels a spiritual elevation. The, the, the power of Yom Kippur reaches even into the heart of the, of the worst pirate in the world. And you know, every one of us has a little bit of pirate inside of us. Everyone has a little bit of, of that part of us that's, that's far away from where we would like to be. Bezrat Hashem, all of us should merit that if we, if we use the machzor properly, if we take advantage of every prayer that there, if we understand that there's levels and levels and levels into every one of these prayers, but even without knowing it, especially, kol nidre, kol nidre is an opportunity, it's a moment where everyone gathers together, the congregation is united, and we will do all of those things. We will make it possible for us to fulfill our promises better to be more honest, to be more truthful people, by, by recognizing that we don't want to make Nadarim. We want to keep our word because it's our word without binding ourselves this way. But also, on a higher level, we are um, releasing God of His vows. We're saying to God, and this is very important, I'm giving myself a clean slate. You know what? If I'm going to try to fix everything I've done in my past, I'll never get to my future. I'll never get to my present. So there are lots of things that need fixing. And I'll try to go back to them when I can. But right now, in this moment of Yom Kippur, I'm giving myself a clean slate. And God, I'm giving you a clean slate. You want to, I'm going to start over. You're going to start over. And with that, we go into Yom Kippur. May all of us merit a Gemar, Chatima Tova, a good Givench Diyar. All of us should merit to elevate ourselves. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.